0: to Mind Tricks Radio, where we'll explore contemporary topics in psychology through interviewing creative and innovative thinkers in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan. Thanks for tuning in. We're here today with Dr. Ron Riggio to talk about the psychology of leadership. Dr. Riggio is the Henry R. Kravis Professor of Leadership and Organizational Psychology at Claremont McKenna College. He has a PhD in Social and Personality Psychology from UC Riverside. Dr. Riggio is a leadership scholar with more than two dozen authored or edited books and more than 250 articles and book chapters. His research interests are in leadership, nonverbal communication, organizational communication, and social competence. He has been an active and prolific Psychology Today blogger for more than a decade. His popular ebook, Daily Leadership Development, is available on Amazon.com. Ron, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me back, Aaron. Yeah, it was great having you. Uh, It was about a year ago you came in and you spoke about nonverbal cues and nonverbal behavior. And uh, that was a super popular episode. And we had talked about trying to get you back in here to talk about leadership, and that's what we're here to do today. Okay. You know, we're going to be talking about psychology and leadership, and I know that's something that you have a lot of background and a lot of interest in. You've written quite a lot in the subject, and you are a professor at the Henry Kravis uh, um, Leadership and Organizational Psychology at Claremont McKenna College. So, So I'd like to start, maybe just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your role there at Claremont McKenna in this leadership department and your interest in this field.
1: Yeah. So I can actually connect it to my research on nonverbal communication and tell you sort of how I got into it. So when I was researching nonverbal communication, and I think we talked about this last time, I was looking at at what we sort of call personal charisma. So what makes other people drawn to a particular person, a charismatic person? So that led me to looking at charisma. And the only real good research that was done was in charismatic leadership. And so there were theories and concepts of charismatic leadership. And I was studying nonverbal behavior in relationships And if you think about it, leadership, the relationship with leaders and followers is very, very complex because you may have a relationship with the president of the United States in some ways because that the president affects your behavior, but you may never meet that person. And you may be in a company, a big company, and the CEO may impact you, that top level leader, but you may never have any face-to-face contact. So we can have relationships with leaders across distance and across you know so what became sort of a a, what was sort of a hobby for me under trying to understand a little bit about leadership and in particular charismatic leadership became my passion when I came to Claremont McKenna College they were looking for somebody to direct an institute on leadership studies and I, I got that position and so I was able to sort of jump in with my hobby and make my hobby, my full-time career. Nice. So since then I've, I've really been very passionate and very involved in that, that sort of broader leadership, scholarship, leadership development community.
0: Yeah. And you have written a popular ebook called daily leadership development. I know that's available on amazon.com. Could you tell us real briefly about that? before we yeah. get into the dive into the topic?
1: Yeah. So that was actually my, my COVID lockdown project. <laughs> and, and what I did was I put together a kind of leadership development handbook. So it's essentially day by day, what is a small thing that you can do? So there's a, there's a one page reading on some aspect of leadership and it's, and it's set really, you can see it sort of do it day by day or week by week, because each week has a, a sort of a theme. And the idea is, what can you do in 10 or 15 minutes a day that can develop your leadership capacity? And so I kind of wrote it for my students because they graduate, they go out into careers. Mm -hmm. And we spend a lot of time on leadership development with them here. And uh, so it was kind of a way of for them to continue their personal leader development. And so then I set it out there, put it up on Amazon in the ebook. It, if, if there's a hard cover at Barnes and Noble, you know, the idea was put it by your nightstand or put it on your daily reading and uh, see what you can do in small incremental steps to develop your leadership.
0: Oh, that's very cool, Ron. And it also, I think a lot of people had this experience of productivity during these times of COVID to take on some of these pet projects it sounds like you had the opportunity to do that
1: yeah it, it really helped and and uh you know so it was sort of uh, and I got my daughter my who's uh, going to be graduating from college and she said gosh I'm locked down dad I got a lot of time on my hands what can I do I said are you going to help me with this book you know oh, and great. she said what's this book and I said this book is everything I know
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> great so a little bit of unpaid labor there from the graduating <laughs> daughter right that's awesome yeah. Well, congratulations uh, to you as a dad and to her as a graduating student. So let's talk a little bit about, we're going to do a deep dive into these leadership concepts as we go, but just as sort of the bird's eye view, tell us a little bit, just in general, what makes a good leader? And maybe you could give us some examples from history or even present times of people that you would consider to meet that um, criteria of a good leader.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things. If we talk about personal qualities, I think a a good leader is really a good person. So the same kinds of qualities we want in in a friend or in our kids, right? The kind of qualities we want to develop, you know, honesty, caring, empathy, having good interpersonal skills so that they can develop good quality relationships themselves. All of those characteristics we want in a leader. But if we talk about sort of the historical great leaders and one of the areas that I've done some work in is what we call transformational leadership or transformational leaders. And some of the famous transformational leaders that uh, that political scientists have studied would be those those leaders who really transformed society. So on the president side of things, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, for example, FDR with the New Deal and all of that. Mahatma Gandhi in India would be another example of a transformational leader. Martin Luther King Jr., um, which is appropriate because it's uh, Black his uh, Black History Month. So, yeah. and what did they do? They transformed in a way society. Those three leaders, and we, there's many more, but let's just kind of focus on them. But but true transformational leaders don't just transform the collective. They don't, ju- and if they're in industry or business, they don't just achieve great things. They also, the second transformation is transforming their followers in terms of their own leadership capacity. So they turn their associates, their followers, they develop them In terms of their own leadership and their leadership capacity, so really, I I know a a guy, and I won't name his name, but he was a very well-known CEO, and he epitomized a transformational leader because when I was uh, with him when he stepped down and retired, and the new generation of leaders who were his subordinates uh, were taking over, and they had tears in their eyes and the going away and everything, Mm. and he said. I'm not concerned about them one bit. And he said, they're going to do much better than I ever did. And I know that because I worked to help develop them, you know, Mm. and the way transformational leaders get these things done, get these transformations is through the relationship with the followers. They engage people, they bring them all on board and together they strive for sort of attainment of mutual goals, or they strive for a particular mission. You know, so civil rights, Martin Luther King Jr., you know, and in some ways he was not uh, he was a a recognized leader, uh, but didn't have a formal leadership position in in the same way that a president does. But it was really that people were willing to follow him. And then he left behind all of these developed co-leaders and the civil rights movement, you know, went forward.
0: Yeah. So these are obviously very exceptional leaders that you're talking about. And I'm wondering, are the, are leaders typically born with like a personality trait or some aspects of that, that that just lend them to become great leaders? Do they learn skills and techniques along the way to become them? Like what combination of factors create a great leader?
1: Yeah. So we actually know that from research, you know, so psych- psychological research, and, and, and you know this in all areas of psychology, this we're really talking about the nature nurture uh, uh, question. Yeah. And so, how much is inborn and how much is developed? So, nature versus nurture. And from st- the studies uh, of twins, you know, that's how it's done. You go to Minnesota, you study twins, and they've actually estimated that about one-third of leadership is inborn quality, so we can think of it as terms of traits, and about two-thirds is developed, and that's good news because that means that even if you don't have much sort of inborn leadership capacity, you can still become a, a really effective leader because much of it is developed, and that makes sense, and we're in, a, in an institute where we, we purport to develop leaders, so it's good because if it was all inborn, we'd be out of business.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, well, that's that's great to know that about the research there, and that should give people hope that they could develop themselves as leaders and find ways to uh, become better leaders if they if they want to. And that um, obviously, there's probably some personality traits that uh, the one third that you talked about, and we can hit on those also later too in this conversation. Yeah. You can you can talk about them. You speak about, in some of your writings, about the four cornerstones of leadership credibility. And I'd like to talk about those if we could, because they seem they're important. And when I'm, when I'm looking at the list here, because I, I have some notes on them, they seem sort of very obvious and straightforward. But I think they're probably a little bit more uh, complicated and nuanced than just the terms themselves. And so let's yeah. delve into them a little bit. So you start with this concept of honesty. Well, that yeah. seems sort of obvious. People should be honest, but what does that mean mean for a leader exactly?
1: Yeah. Well, we know that that one of the things that people really want in their leaders is integrity, right? They want to they want a leader that that they can feel good about. And I often say this to leaders, to managers, you know, that be open. Honesty is really the best policy because if you try to hide things, you know, when things are, you know, some bad news or something like that, there's going to be rumors swirling around and, you know, people are going to probably find out the bad news anyway, and it's better for your, for your own, uh, credibility for you to be straightforward with people. So you want to be, you know, what we, we often term authentic Mm -hmm. and you want to make sure that you're, um, you know, you're relatively transparent. You know, when you're um, making a decision or you're giving them some, some bad news or even good news, but particularly bad news, you want to be straightforward. You want to say this is what's going on because people are going to either find out or sometimes they're going to generate if they don't know what's going on, if the leader not, you know, communicating and not telling them what's happening, they may conjure up you know, a worst case scenario, a worse, you know, a worse situation. So I think it's just best to be honest and direct with people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sort of like people can take the bad news. It's a lot better than not knowing and, and guessing and then trying to react to rumors or gossip. It's just better for people to know, know what's going on to begin with, to be able to manage it better. And probably to feel like our leader is telling us what's happened and he or she has a a plan or an idea yeah. how to respond to it. That's right.
1: I mean, even, you know, imagine there's going to be massive layoffs or something in a company. I mean, be, be straightforward with it because they're going to find out. Everybody in the organization might think I'm going to lose my job. So why not just be straight with people? And the other thing too is if they if you've already built up that trust and you keep something from them, all of a sudden you're going to lose all of mm. that all that trust, all that credibility.
0: Does that honesty also play out in terms of the one-to-one relationship between, let's say, an employee and an employer type of situation where the, 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 the leader needs to be straightforward and honest with the employee about something that has to do with him or her?
1: Yeah. I mean, even when you're, you know, you're sort of have to sort of correct performance mm-hmm. you want to be straight about it you want to do it in a way that's constructive not destructive and so that's a really important element right but um, but I think being straight with people is a much better strategy you know uh, yeah I mean just you know tell them the truth right tell them where we are and and that's sort of the first step
0: yeah. So what about respect as a concept? How does this relate to leadership?
1: Yeah, so respect is really about the idea of being respectful for others. And that ties to why, do you, why are you straightforward with them is because you respect them, right? And you need to show to be a good leader, you have to develop that relationship. And you have to demonstrate that you really care about them. So let's go back to that scenario of the employee who's maybe poorly performing and you need to correct their behavior and you're going to be straightforward and honest, but do it in a way where you demonstrate as a leader to that follower that you care about them, Hmm. that you care about their performance, you care about them improving, you care about Right now we have uh, with COVID and all of this and remote work and people feeling all these stresses, it's really important to recognize, you know, and be empathic and know that, you know, people are under a lot of stress right now and uh, demonstrate that, demonstrate that you truly care about them and you respect that they have other things in their lives that are causing them difficulties during the, you know, COVID times.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like the concept of empathy is really tied in with respect in the sense that I would imagine that a good leader has a good sense of what their followers are experiencing and feeling, or at least has empathy that something might be going on with them. And it's important to have some understanding and awareness of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, and all too often, you know, leaders, managers will just, you know, they just see the person that's in front of them in the workplace. And, and really to develop the relationship, you got to get to know them. You got to get to know the, the stresses and strains that they're under in their personal lives, mm. um, you know, whatever other limitations, but you could, cause you can't delegate appropriately. You can't empower them. If you don't know what their strengths are, what their limitations are, what their concerns are, you have to get all you have to get all of that to be an effective leader. You have to really understand where people are coming from.
0: Mm-hmm. So having an interest in a person's personal life would be okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's okay. I mean, I think you want to keep some boundaries there. You know, you don't want to get too personal, but you but you need to know if a person is experiencing a particular stressful time, they need some time off work, those kind of things. So, I mean, I mm-hmm. think there's legitimate. Uh, Elements. I mean, obviously, you don't want to get overly personal with with them, but um, but you do need to develop that relationship.
0: Yeah, I imagine a good leader is also very good at figuring out what those boundaries are.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> and that that's part of what you learn. That's part of the developed part. You know, you learn how to where the boundaries are, what the rules and regulations are. Yeah,
0: yeah. What about competence?
1: So competence is really about um, and and it's a critical part of leadership is now you you know you can't know everything but you want to as a leader strive to be as knowledgeable and as competent about both your capacity to lead but also about what the team is doing, what the team is doing, what the organization is doing. So take, for example, uh, a leader who might be leading um, software engineers or software developers. They probably know more about software development than, than the person that's managing them, the person that's leading them. But try to get as much knowledge as you possibly can so that you're respected by them. And, and that they see you as credible. You know enough about this. Very often, top-level leaders will go from one industry to the next, and those leaders that I've talked to, even the CEO-level people, when they go to the new organization, they spend the first few weeks and sometimes the first few months really asking, talking to people, saying, tell me what you do, Tell me about, you know, your concerns and how can I help you do what you do better? So they try to learn, you know, what's going on in the organization, what's going on in each department. And uh, so rather than coming in and starting, starting to make decisions and telling people what to do, it's very important to demonstrate that you are trying to gain knowledge about what everybody does to raise your level of competency.
0: It sounds like there's some leeway that an organization will give a leader around competence if the leader is demonstrating a desire to gain it and learn about the industry or the situation and that maybe that's the most important part they're not coming in like acting or appearing like they know everything when they really don't
1: exactly and that and that's the element and in fact uh, you know Jim Collins and some of the other sort of people who write more popularly for leadership talk about the really best leaders are are humble. Mm. Uh, They have this level of humility. And this is the area that we're talking about, that humility. Admitting, even a high-level leader admitting, I don't know it all. Um, I'm always learning. And the very best leaders I know are constantly trying to get better. And and why do I even know so many top-level leaders is because the reason they're connected to us and our institute is they're interested in finding out more about Uh, the latest in leadership development or the latest in leadership. And so they're, uh, they're like students of leadership. And so they come to us to say, Hey, you know, what's going on with you guys? What, what do you know about leadership that can help me with my leader development, even though they're already at very high level positions?
0: Yeah, I could see that. And I really can see how humility would be important to followers. Like you know, who wants to follow somebody who's arrogant and thinks they know everything.
1: If you want to talk about what one of the biggest derailers for leaders that leads them to, uh, to fail, it's arrogance, mm-hmm. right? I mean, arrogance is a, is a real problem for leaders.
0: Yeah. And so arrogance goes hand in hand with competence, I'm, I'm sure, because somebody who's acting or pretending like they know more than they do is uh, not going to seem too credible. What about uh, accountability?
1: So, you know, this is where you get into this idea of responsible leaders and responsible leadership. And, you know, classic example, Harry Truman had the famous sign on his desk, the buck stops here. And so the idea of, you know, he was demonstrating accountability that ultimately, if something goes wrong, it falls on the leader. Right, and and not you know blaming other people, not making excuses for your mistakes, and again, that's part of that's actually related to the humility of mm-hmm. owning up and saying, "Look, made a mistake, going to try to do better," or "We failed, let's analyze what happened, so that we don't uh, fall into the same trap next time." Mm-hmm.
0: Tell me on these different dimensions of leadership credibility. How does one assess the credibility, how they're doing on these different dimensions? Yeah. So I think
1: a lot of that, and we do a lot of assessment, and I think really that's where you get into sort of upward appraisals. I think leaders really need to know what their followers think about them. With managers, we talk about like 360 evaluations. So you want to get your supervisor evaluating you, but also your subordinates, right? Your followers get their image of what you're doing well and what you're not doing well. And peers too. In a 360, we often go to peers, sometimes go to other people outside the organization. But I think really when it comes to leadership, I think it's the people you're leading who can tell you the most about how it's being taken by them and their their colleagues.
0: Yeah. how How might one access that if there isn't a formal method for evaluating that in an organization?
1: I mean, I think that's part of the relationship aspect. And so I think developing that each leader, developing a good relationship with the follower so that the follower feels safe enough to come to the leader and say, you know, I think in this case, you maybe should have done this differently and giving feedback. So it really goes both ways. I Mm. mean, you know, in the same way that the leader should offer advice and, and support to the followers, the followers can say, you know, hey, here's something. I think you could have done this better. I like when you do this. I don't like when you do that. And so I think if you have that kind of open relationship, you can you can handle that. And, you know, leaders have to be tough. You know, they have to be able to take the criticism or they're not going to get better.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that you use the word safe and safety, It sounds like that's exactly what needs to happen is there needs to be a safe environment for the followers to be able to provide the feedback. And that comes from the safety that the leader creates, I imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the issue. I mean, you know, there's there's a saying people don't quit their jobs, they quit their leaders, you know, they quit their bosses and all too often that's the problem is that, you know, there's this, um, you know, sort of top down, no development of relationship. And the person says, why should I, why should I work for this person? Right. They don't care about me. They don't seem to care. They don't seem to worry about my career progression. Why should I help that leader succeed?
0: So you've talked a little bit about leadership development and I recall in one of your blog posts, you were talking about four steps. Let's talk a little bit about them. And I think there's going to be some overlap with the previous topics that we were talking about because they're connected but you were, you've you talked about motivation for being a leader. Uh, wh- where do people get the motivation from and, and analyze that for themselves about yeah. whether that's right for them?
1: Yeah, there's some interesting work there. And part of this is part of your leader development is to ask yourself you know why am i doing this why do i want to be in a leadership position and you know there's some kind of well known research that um, and has a, they actually have a measurement instrument and you know some people like to lead cuz they just they just enjoy it they just feel comfortable in a in a position of leadership in a position of authority so they lead because they like to lead quarterback who just uh, retired from Tampa Bay, right? I mean, he's a very successful uh, uh, leader and retired at, I think, age 44. And so he just enjoyed being a quarterback and leading so much that he, you know, couldn't give it up. And Mm -hmm. so some people really just like being leaders. Other people, I think they get into leadership positions because they sort of calculate, they say, well, you know." I'm going through my career. I've been a, you know, sort of a decent employee, decent follower, and uh, it's time for me to get to the next level because that's how I'm going to increase my salary and and increase my prestige and all those kinds of things. So that's, you know, that's part of like thinking about the costs and benefits and then other people. And I think Martin Luther King jr would be an example of this is people turn to, to others and say, you know, really you should take on a leadership position and you see this sometimes if you're in a in the community you know people say you should run for the school board you're very concerned about what's going on uh, you know in the schools or you're very concerned on what's going on in the city run for city council or you really seem to be concerned about this social issue why don't you, get a position in a nonprofit a leadership position so you can do some good, you know? So I think that those are kind of, you know, part of the motivations, but I think to understand yourself, part of it is this self-reflection. So first you got to say, okay, why am I leading? What do I want to do? What's my plan for developing as a leader?
0: Is there any research that suggests what are better or worse reasons for a person becoming a leader and whether they'll succeed or not?
1: I don't think it really makes that much of a difference. I think it's, you know, people get into leadership positions for a variety of reasons. You know, some people who are in kind of the more calculative, they'll say, you know, I want to give this up at this point in time because I just don't seem to be progressing anymore. And so they'll step down. And I just remember the quarterback's name, Tom Brady, right? Mm-hmm. So Tom Brady had a hard time giving it up because he enjoyed it so much and he enjoyed the accomplishments. So I think that it'll probably your motivation to lead will determine how long you lead and you know what, what direction you're going in. But I think that understanding of why you lead then leads you to this idea of self-awareness. And self-awareness is critical for leader development. You have to know your strengths so you can capitalize on those. And you need to know your limitations. You need to know your weaknesses so that you can develop those. So one of the reasons why, for example, we do, when we do leader development, we do a lot of assessments. And so we assess different kinds of skills. What are your interpersonal skills, You know the soft skills? What are the more you know strategic skills? Uh, how do you look at ethical situations? how How good are you at realizing there's ethical issues here? So we really try to assess where people are so that we can work on the weaknesses and continue to develop the strengths.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like you provide a really great resource there in your institute for job. it yeah. <laughs> Same question I I was asking before, if one doesn't have access to great assessment materials and consultation um, like you provide, how would one go about sort of analyzing for themselves their strengths and weaknesses and self-awareness? Well,
1: that was, I mean, that was part of the idea of my my book too. I have Uh some mini assessments in there and and because I think it's so critical. It's probably pretty hard to find these things on your own. I mean, I can find them because I know sort of where to look. But I think, you know, there's a lot of things that people can do. There's a lot of leadership development programs. I mean, some of them are pretty expensive, but there's a lot of them that are not so costly. So, for example, here we used to do a uh, we're in the city of Claremont and we used to do a leadership development for community leaders. And, And we did it pro bono. I mean, we did it and it was to develop leaders in the community. So these are business leaders, people from City Hall, people from nonprofits. And we offered kind of a community-based leadership program, but we asked them to make a commitment. You know, you have to come to this every two weeks, and part of it's going to be hands-on. You're going to tour the police department to find out what's going on there. You know, but part of it is going to be classroom-based, and we're going to talk about leadership, and we're going to work on your, on your leadership. And we did a lot of assessments. so um, So you can't find these things out there. You've got to, you know, really do it. And there are other self-guides and, you know, obviously I've written one, but there are other self-guides that you can find.
0: It sounds like more than anything is just having an awareness that a person has strengths and they probably have blind spots that they may not even be aware of, but just knowing that those are part of their makeup can, can allow somebody to seek that in whatever form they do. Just knowing that it's a good idea to look out for that is helpful.
1: Yeah, and 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 one of my colleagues here actually in Claremont, Becky Reichert, she's been doing a lot with what she calls motivation to develop. So she finds that some leaders like to rest on their laurels and others strive to get better. And so, you know, are they motivated to try to develop their leadership capacity? So that's a big mm-hmm. critical element. And, you know, one of the things that we try to do with our students here, because of the mission of our college is all around leadership is we tried to sort of impact everybody and we've kind of restructured that and we say you know you got to make a commitment you got to want to develop so we're asking for these commitments and for those who are willing to make the commitment we give them resources and we develop their leadership if they're not interested we don't do it and we have dropouts because they lose their motivation to develop but in the same way you have to you know get that get that self motivation say i want to be a better leader or I want to be a leader and learn about it. Yeah. And, you know, and you can get academic programs, you could go get an MBA or you could go get a degree in leadership. There are actually degrees in that.
0: Well, Ron. I mean, really, the truth is that's true for everything around motivation. Anything anybody wants to do requires motivation to work at it and get better at it. And you I'll know, tell I, you that it's even true for therapy. You know, the I use the
1: clinical example all the time. I mean, if you like the way you are, if you're happy with the way you are, even if you're not, you know, well adjusted or whatever, you're not going to be motivated. You're not going to go to therapy, and you're not going to work at things. You know, if you're trying to lose weight. Um, if you're not motivated to you know, make the sacrifices and do the work, you're not going to be successful. So you have to have that motivation and that desire to develop. And then I think the other thing that I talk about is um, you should have a plan. And, and that's where I think in what we do here at a college is we talk a lot about theories. And I present my students with theories of leadership Because sometimes a particular theory, a particular model will click with them and they can use that model as a uh, plan for leader development. So for example, we talked about transformational leadership and in transformational leadership, you break it down into the four components and that helps you because then you can work on each of the four components. So the first is kind of maintaining that image image management. What can I do to look like a leader? How can I be authentic? And you know that sort of thing. Second component is inspirational motivation. How can I inspire? What can I do to motivate people? So learn about that and develop your inspirational, your motivational capacities. The third one is the relationship element. How can I best, how can I work to develop better relationships with the people I'm supervising? You know, and it gets real simple, you know, get out of your office,
0: mm-hmm. go connect
1: with them, check in with them regularly, get to know, you know, their strengths and weaknesses, that kind of thing. So having that plan then really helps. And then last, and we already kind of talked about this, get the feedback, get the feedback from the people you're leading. You know, if, you, if you've got a good relationship, they'll tell you, hey, I've noticed your." You're checking in with us more. You seem like, you know, you're communicating more frequently. You know, often one of the things that I see, and it doesn't matter if the leader is intending to or not, but very often they don't communicate enough. One time, some question, somebody asked me, what's the one thing you could do to develop your leadership? Well, that, you know, leadership is very complex, but when I thought about it, I thought, well, the one thing is to become a better communicator mm. and all of what that entails, right? But I think very often leaders need to communicate more. They need to communicate what's going on, why we're doing it, what we expect the outcome to be. And I've even seen it. I think my, I think my administration here at the college did a really good job in the COVID response. But every once in a while, I found myself going, huh? I wish I knew this, I wish I knew what was going on with the administration in regard to this or in regard to that. And simply communicating more frequently and understanding what do the people need to hear, you know, helps. And I, yeah. I mean, I think we see this if we look at, you know, why do presidents have press conferences, right? You know, it's that idea of trying to inform the public, trying to get them on board with their policies. And the more you do that, the better generally.
0: I think the, the communication just makes just a lot of sense. Cause I can tell you, you know, in my practice, I've had so many people come in and they're complaining about work or they're complaining about some organization that they're involved with. And the number one complaint usually is the communication is terrible. Yeah. The communication is awful. They're not telling us, you know, what we need to know, or they're not, they're saying one thing and then they're saying something else. And the message is never consistent and it's confusing and frustrating. So I could really see how communication is such a vital role and communicating honestly and respectfully, all those other aspects of communicating also that go into that seem like they're just vitally important.
1: You know, if you look at it, it's like any relationship, leader follower relationship is just like any relationship. And you know, this from therapy, you know, like with couples, when they get into trouble, they're not communicating, and they're not communicating at a deep level, and they're not reaching mutual understanding. And you could you could use that, that same principle applies to leaders and followers, same principle applies to parents and children, right?
0: Yeah, you, I, I don't know, I, you know, I, I don't really consider myself much of an industrial organizational psychologist or anything, but I always sort of think that in a lot of organizations, there's a lot of uh, mapping out into family dynamics, and you can almost see organizations functioning like either a functional or a dysfunctional family. And I don't know if that's the way organizational psychologists tend to look at organizations, but I've always kind of wondered about that. Does, does that well, make I any there, sense? I, th-
1: I, I think there are clear parallels with mm-hmm. that. I mean, I think you see the same kind of things. I mean, you see uh, leaders, bosses who are bullies, and you see parents who bully their children, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or bully their spouses. So I think, I mean, you know, human nature is human nature, and relationships are relationships. And yes, work relationships are much more, they tend to be less emotional, although people can get very emotional. I mean, there's there's boundaries, there's different kinds of boundaries. You know, when you're in a romantic relationship, a lot of those boundaries fall down and you share a lot. The workplace has has certain kinds of boundaries, but the basic dynamics of two people having a relationship or a family, meaning a team versus, you know, a family of of parents and siblings. I think that some of the dynamics are the same. Humans are humans, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about bad leadership for a moment. And there are some specific things that you talk about that happens under bad leadership some dynamics that occur that you actually give them labels. Let's talk a little bit about them. One you mentioned is uh, cheap psychological tricks. So a leader who's employing cheap psychological tricks, what are they doing?
1: So let me, let me just give you one right off the top because we're seeing it right now. And so we know that what, that there is what's called in-group, out-group bias, that that we feel more affinity for people more affinity for people who are in our in group our friends our neighbors our associates our teammates we have issues with people who are in the out group right and so people who are different from us and this relates to diversity in organizations you know it, it relates to issues around uh, gender right men versus women in group out group kinds of things mm-hmm. and what should be done in organizations, is you should be able to move past those biases, that in-group versus out-group biases, and be able to, and I'll use the political thing, uh, reach across the aisle to the out-group members and bring them in, right? So when we talk about inclusivity, inclusion in organizations, the idea, you know, the classic examples, people from sort of the ethnic minority group and people from the majority group. And what we have to do is we have to break down those in-group, out-group biases, you know, looking at our in-group as the good guys and them as the Mm -hmm. bad guys or the troublemakers or whatever. But What bad leaders do is they capitalize on that because it's a very natural human response. And so what they do is they get their loyal followers, the in-group, to um, become more strongly connected to the leader by painting the out-group as the bad guys, as Mm. the enemies. And so you see this. And this is basically what's led to divisiveness In the United States, right? Mm -hmm, So if mm -hmm. you're in one political party, you see the other political party as the bad guys. They're the ones trying to tear down everything that we want, right? And vice versa. It goes both ways. So I think, you know, in politics, you can see a leader who capitalizes on that in group, out group bias is really a bad leader because the idea is we're all in this boat together. We're all in this country together. And we know. The antidote to the in-group out-group bias is to get people to work together toward what are called superordinate goals—things that we all care about.
0: Well, sure. I, I mean, the United States is not going to succeed if there's a civil war, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, take yeah. any issue. Take—I yeah. mean, I mean, take climate change, right? I mean, we're seeing lots and lots of evidence of that. There's climate change, and and humans have contributed to that. Uh, now there are people who. Don't believe, you know, the opposite or whatever. But what we need to do is we need to get those people who say, well, I, you know, I'm not going to work towards, you know, solving this climate issue and you know, because it's going to hurt the economy. You know, I work in the industry where we burn a lot of fossil fuel or whatever. But the thing is, we got to find the superordinate goals, we got to get people working together, you know, uh, on these things. And it comes right down to those those smaller issues. But in work organizations, then you have your favorites, and then you have the other people. I mean, it shouldn't work like that. You should get everybody working together. It's human nature to play favorites, but you want to try to resist that.
0: Well, yeah. And I imagine it, it works badly on both sides because if you're on the out group, you're feeling demoralized, disempowered. So you're not, you're, you're probably not going to try. You're going to give up. You're spending a lot of time and energy just feeling badly and looking over your shoulder. And if you're in the in-group, kind of like what you were saying about the, the, the climate change stuff, you're probably afraid of, crossing the leader and getting kicked out into the out group. Yeah, and so absolutely. you're not going to be very effective as a person in the in-group because you're, you're focused on the wrong things. That's
1: right. And you're getting rewarded by that bad leader to be loyal. And the, you're right. The threat of, of being ostracized now means I can't be in the in-group anymore. And that's just bad leadership, right? I mean, there's a whole lot of other things. Being coercive, using coercive power, being punitive. I mean, that's another thing. Mm -hmm. And really, that's bad leadership, the carrots and sticks, right? If you're always using the stick, you know, we know this positive reinforcement will get you much more than punishment, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's basic psychology. The other thing is sort of the demanding obedience. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the boss, I'm the leader, just do what I say. It's, not just bad leadership, it's self-defeating because the followers, the people in your team may have better answers than you have. Yeah. And if you say, you know, do it, it's my way or the highway, you know, that's the humility is not the best way. And we know people aren't, is going to be as willing to join you if they see it as we're just doing this because you said so, not because we want to. And so there are just a lot of things that that bad leaders do, but they're able to leverage some of the psychological dynamics. That's why I call them cheap psychological tricks. It's really easy to just, you know, there's a classic, gosh, I used to show it in, in when I taught intro psych, where a teacher in the Midwest came to school just to demonstrate in-group, out-group bias and prejudice. And she said, the blue-eyed kids are better than the brown-eyed kids. You might remember this from, you know. Mm-hmm. And right away, she started all this conflict. The blue-eyed kids felt superior. They started putting down the brown-eyed kids. Then she went back the next day and she said, oh, you know what? I made a mistake. I had it backwards. And But they very easily, the brown-eyed kids now became the, the bullies and started subjugating the, uh, their blue-eyed kids. So it, we know that it's very easy to um, create those in-groups and out-groups. And so a leader, a bad leader, will use that to their advantage.
0: Yeah, sure. I, that just sort of reminds me of, there's been so many different kinds of experiments like that. I'm thinking about the you know, the Zimbardo prison experiment where the guards, given the power, assume that role and the prisoners have a sort of a learned helplessness way of relating to that. And there's also this really fascinating, I'm sure you remember it. I know it because I grew up in Palo Alto and there was a school there where one of the teachers who was demonstrating how, how Nazi Germany could come about, gave armbands to some of the kids and created a, a group for them. And, and it just, it, it, it got out of control. I mean, do you, do you recall that? Yeah, yeah, I do.
1: And we just, yeah, I mean, that's the issue. You, you know, we can study these bad leaders and we see them using the same tactics, Mm -hmm. by Dividing people. And it's all just to, you know, gain control to, you know, it's, it's all about power.
0: Yeah. You've spoken a little bit about followership as a concept, which is not something we usually think too much about. And so I'd, I'd just be curious, just some brief thoughts about what good followership is and why this is important.
1: Yeah. So a couple of things. So I've, I've done some work with this. I, I uh, worked with a, a fellow who is very big in the followership world and and, and actually works to develop followership, Ira Chalif. And he wrote a book called The Courageous Follower. And, and the subtitle says it all. It's standing up for and to our leaders. So in other words, followers need to be able, when the leader's on the right track, Stand up for them, support them, go with them. But when the leader goes down the wrong track, you need to have the courage to stand up to the leader and mm-hmm. say, stop, you're about to make a mistake or we're going the wrong way. It's actually much more complicated than that. But, but the issue is that we give too much power to the leaders. We give too much attention to the leaders. So, And this is the thing. Leadership is not something that leaders do. Leadership is constructed by leaders and followers working together. Just by definition, leaders cannot do leadership alone because, you know, that's that old saying of the leader every once in a while should turn around and make sure they're still being followed. Because (laughs) if if you have no followers, there's no Right. right. So so followers probably mean more to leadership than leaders do. Right. So leaders are just playing a particular role among all of these roles with many of them playing the followership role. And so I think it's really this balancing back to saying, it's okay to be a contributor, to be a follower and followers can have an impact on the leadership. They can make suggestions to the leader. They can support the leader when they're on the right track, but they can also need to have the courage to stand up to the leader and say, look, we're about to make a terrible mistake. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we shouldn't you know, and, and the classic example, there have been documented cases of airline disasters where the co-pilot or somebody else in the cockpit knew that they were about to get into big trouble. But because of the pilot's authority and their reluctance to question the pilot's judgment, they just kept quiet mm-hmm. and and disaster happens, right? Yeah. Because they, they didn't want to speak to the leader. They didn't want to speak up to the leader and contradict.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that term follower can sometimes sort of have negative connotations sort of like, Oh, just sort of like lemmings or sheep. But what I, what I'm hearing you say about the concept of followership is a lot more proactive and involved than that it's a, a follower using his or her brain and initiative to really think about what are they following and does it make sense and how can they make a contribute, a contribution. So the whole organization works better and, and they're contributing to that. Yeah. And, and, and so that's, and that's a whole other that's way a, of looking at it.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is w- make people recognize that important role that followers play in the leadership equation and legitimize the followership because I mean, the, the reality is that you don't start out as a leader, you start out as a follower and you eventually move up into that leadership position. And so the issue is to be the best follower you can be and some of the qualities are the same, right? I mean you want to have the you know the same things we've been talking about leaders you want in followers. I mean it's just like your kids, right? I mean you want to be a good parent, you want to demonstrate, you know, good good uh, parenting to them. But what you're hoping is that You know, we all have this hope for our kids that they're going to be successful, that they're going to be good parents themselves, maybe better than we are. And so if that model is the exact same thing with leaders and followers, the very best leaders say, I want my followers to be as good as I am. And that's a really
0: great analogy with the children. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and that came to me because people who were in great leadership positions often told me, I learned a lot about leadership early on from a parent or from a grandparent or whatever. And then some of them said, but I really learned about leadership when I became a parent, because then I had to enact and had to, you know, I saw what my parent did that was good. And now I had to do the same kind of thing with my children.
0: Yeah. Ron, this has been a super interesting conversation about leadership and now about followership. Really appreciate the time uh, and um, you're expressing your thoughts uh, and expertise on this. Are there any other final thoughts on this subject that you think are important?
1: You know, we're all essentially in the follower role, right? When it comes to things like politics, the community or whatever. And I think we need to actively engage and we need to say, This is a leader that we really should follow because they're a good leader. They have the right qualities and reject those leaders who engage in the cheap psychological trips, tricks, just exploit us. So I think that we have an obligation to hold our leaders accountable for you know, what they're doing. And I think, you know, I mean, we talk about the low rates of participation in voting and participation in the community, volunteering and that kind of thing. You know, it, it, as they say, you know, you, you need to to be part of the change. You know, you need to, if you want things to get better, you have to engage. So I think really the lessons about leadership are for followers to step up and lead, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. Ron, thanks so much for coming on the show a second time. It's been a pleasure having you. And as always, you have very interesting and knowledgeable things to share. So thank you.
1: Well, thanks for having me. And it was great talking with you again, Aaron.
0: Thank you for listening to Mind Tricks Radio. I hope you have enjoyed the program. For more information about Mind Tricks, you can go to my website, www.waikikahealth.com. Be sure to subscribe to Mind Tricks on your preferred podcasting host to be notified of new episodes of Mind Tricks. Please take some time to give Mind Tricks a good rating and review wherever you are listening. It really helps get the word out to new listeners. And please like and share Mind Tricks posts on Twitter and Facebook by following your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan.